0: About two and a half weeks ago, just a a brother that I have loved and admired from a distance for a long time. He's one of my kind of modern heroes in the faith. He and his wife, for the last 60 years, they have literally given all of their adult life and their marriage to investing in the next generation, discipling young adults, um, sending them out to be missionaries all over the world. They've sent out more than 30,000 missionaries, literally um, to every nation in, in the world. It's unbelievable how God has used them. And about two weeks ago, Uh, This man, he got an unexpected and unwanted stage four cancer uh, diagnosis. And he had not felt good for a few weeks. Things had not been great. He knew he wasn't feeling great. He's in his mid-80s. Um, wasn't sure what was going on. And they go to the doctor and uh, the prognosis comes back in, in ways that they had not anticipated. He has cancer in several of his major organs, in his lymph system, um, in his bloodstream, in his bones. And so it's just one of those moments where the doctor said, hey, barring a miracle, you are very close to the end of life. And this man's seen lots of miracles happen over the years, prayed for miracles, seen God do amazing things. But um, they, they just kind of sensed, okay, hey, unless God does something, this is gonna be... Um, the end of our physical life right here. And so uh, he and his wife got together, they called together their adult children. Uh, they came home and they sat down and they just sort of discerned, okay, hey, what do we wanna do? And so uh, they decided, hey, here's what we're gonna do. Um, we're not gonna seek treatment, we're gonna pray, we're just gonna try to live life to the fullest over these last few weeks. And said, so, but as a family, we wanna write a letter to all of the people um, that we've been journeying with for the last 60 years. And so they write this really simple letter that they sent out and and I got the letter about a week ago and it it was so simple and yet as I was reading it, it was just, it was profound. I don't know if you've ever been with someone as they're coming towards the end of their life but words just carry a different weight you know, it's not just this like random, like, hey, here's something I want to share. It's like, hey, this is what I want to share. And he, he wrote this really simple letter. And part of the thing that struck me by it was in the midst of it, there was such this tone of, of joy, of hope, of vision that literally felt otherworldly. And so I'm reading this letter and a couple of things jumped out at me. He said, you know, even though I'm really sick and I'm nearing the end of my life, he goes, I have never felt more hope and joy and vision for the future than I do right now. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody like this when they're in the midst of a a moment that's just marked by the reality of their passing. And I thought, man, how could could you mean that? But he goes, man, I I have vision for the future. I have joy. I have peace that passes all understanding. And as he's getting ready to wrap up the letter, he, he ended it like this. He says, I don't want you to pray for my health condition. He said, I want you to pray that God would use me in this season of sickness even more than he has used me all these years in my seasons of health. And I read it, and this is what struck me, I went, man, isn't it just like Jesus to use a dying man to teach tens of thousands of people how to actually live? I was just reading, and I went, man, he's using the words of a dying man, and he is teaching people how to live, and how to walk in joy, and how to walk in contentment, and how to have vision. And there was just something so profound about it. I couldn't help as I was reading this letter from this man that I have admired for a really long time to, to just think about the words that we're going to be saturating ourselves with over the next 12 weeks from the book of Philippians. And every week, I'll just give you a little bit of context for this letter that we're going to be studying. I'm not going to waterboard you today with historical context. I don't want to do that to you. But each week, I'll just give you a little bit of the background because I think the context gives clarity. But, it, but it's important for you to know that Philippians, this book that we're reading, it, it wasn't written, you know, by some pastor in a hipster coffee shop on 12th South, you know, trying to write a best-selling book to get a speaking platform. It was written by a guy named Paul who had a really complicated and yet beautiful journey with Jesus. So I'll just kind of give you the cliff notes. You know, the first 30 years of his life. Paul, Paul lived with great zeal for God, and yet he didn't know Jesus, didn't know the grace of Jesus, didn't know the, the mystery of the gospel. And so for the first 30 years of his life, that zeal was misdirected. And not only did he not know Jesus, he actually persecuted God's people. And then when he's around 30 years old, he has this radical encounter with Jesus, the living Lord, and he comes to faith in Christ, and he spends basically the next 17 years in hiding. Not on purpose, but God just sort of takes him off the grid and he's, he's in that secret place. It's kind of that moment where Luke Skywalker goes back to the swamp and he's with Yoda and he's being trained in secret to be a Jedi. It's kind of this moment that, that the Apostle Paul happened after he becomes a follower of Jesus. 17 years just in the hidden place, God forming him into his calling and his destiny. And then roughly the last 15 years of his life, he travels all over the Roman Empire teaching people about Jesus, starting churches. And you get to the book of Philippians, he's now facing his impending death unless there is a miracle. He's in prison, basically on death row, and he writes this letter to the Philippian church. And here's what's, here's what's so interesting to me. This book that is designed to produce comfort in your life was written in one of his most uncomfortable seasons. And something happens like when you stop and you You listen to the words of somebody that's being shaped in the crucible of suffering. And it's just powerful what Paul's going to talk to us about. He just wants to mentor us over the next 12 weeks. He's going to go, hey, here's what it looks like to develop resilient joy when all hell is breaking loose in your life. Here's what it looks like to walk with unshakable peace when none of the circumstances of your life feel peaceful. Here's what it looks like to be content when you have nothing but a prison cell and food that may not come your way. Isn't it just like God to use a dying man with no possessions and no status to talk to us about joy and peace and security and resiliency? And I believe the Holy Spirit just wants to stir something up in us as we sit in this book over the next few weeks. And so here's, here's where we're going to start this morning. Paul is going to start with just two sentences from prison to this church that he started years earlier in the city of Philippi. And he's just going to quite simply do this. He says, hey, I want to remind you of the beauty and the miracle of this thing that we get to do together called church. He so said, I just want to remind you, like we're living in a cultural moment where a lot of people don't know what to do with church. Even a lot of Christians aren't sure, sure what to do with church anymore. There's a lot of reasons for that. We're not gonna get into that today, but Paul's gonna say, hey, I want to remind you of the miracle and the mystery of what it means to be a part of God's people. Look at Philippians chapter one, just two verses this morning, starting in verse one. It says, Paul and Timothy as one of the guys he discipled, servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at the city of Philippi. Together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, this week I was just chewing on those two verses and maybe you're sitting here, you're like, what in the world are we gonna talk about from the intro to the letter? Uh, at one point this week, I was just kind of sitting in those two verses and I wrote, four, I wrote down 14 things I wanna talk about this morning. Um, I'm not gonna do that to you, I promise. Um, but uh, I'm like, man, there is, there is so much gospel density in these two verses. And I, I just wanna challenge you. I think sometimes there's this tendency to just skim across the word of God and not, not just like meditate and chew on, let your soul just feast on what he's saying. There's, there's so much. And just in these two short verses, Paul is just gonna lay out almost this, this miraculous manifesto on what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus together. And if you take notes, I'm just gonna give you just kind of five quick things that I see in these two verses. And the first is this. Paul is gonna remind us that to be a church means first and foremost, we are a part of a people. We're a people that, that, that to be a part of a church doesn't mean you go to a place. Like when you tell somebody, hey, I'm a part of ethos, you know, I don't know what you think of, but sometimes there's this tendency to go, well, I drive to this building in downtown and I fight for parking and I do all this stuff. And, and then I get in and, and, and there's some songs that we sing and there's a guy that stands up to preach and there's some things that we do in the city. But Paul's gonna go, hey, fundamentally, to be a part of a church does not mean you go to a place It means you're drawn to a people. You're a part of a people. You've been put in a family. You've been put in a tribe. Look back at verse one with me. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy what? Help me out, shout it out. To all of God's holy. Oh, come on. To all of God's holy. There we go. Thank you, Morgan. Like To his holy people, he goes, hey, this is what this is. Like whether you realize this or not, when Christ does something in your life, He does not put you in an organization. He puts you in a family. He puts you in a people group, not a group of anonymous strangers, not some just big general crowd or blob of people. Because no, I've put you, I've put you with other people. You know, Paul had started this church with the help of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit years earlier, and when he was writing to this group, he wasn't thinking about a crowd. He was thinking about individuals, he was thinking about Lydia, the fashion mogul that he met down by the river from Thyatira who had come to Philippi on business and God opens her heart and he thought of her. He thought of the young woman that was caught up in human trafficking that by the power of the Holy Spirit she got delivered from demon possession and became one of the leaders in this early church. Thought about this jailer who had beaten him and put him in prison in Philippi, and then by the miraculous work of God, an earthquake happened, Paul was set free, you should go back and read Acts 16, Paul shares the gospel with this guy, and so Paul is writing to the church, he's not thinking generally, he's thinking specifically because he understood the church was not a place or a program, it was a people, it was a family. Like if I told you that Sydney and I showed up to a family reunion a few weeks ago, you wouldn't think about a setting you'd imagine a bunch of people put together and paul goes let me let me tell you the the miracle of what's happened here christ has done something in your life and he didn't just do it in you he's done it in thousands upon thousands millions upon millions billions upon billions of people and he then puts you together in this crazy beautiful community called the church you know, it's crazy to me, I don't know if you've noticed or thought about this, but it was exactly three years ago today that the world started shutting down with COVID. is that nuts? Some ways that feels like a decade ago, in some ways it feels like just yesterday it's been this kind of weird time warp continuum that we've been in since COVID. I don't know if any of you have felt that, but I remember the second week of March where we said, hey, uh, our venues are shutting down because of COVID, um, we can't meet for two weeks to slow the curve, <laughs> Can we laugh about that yet? Two weeks. Two weeks. And we had no idea that it was going to be over a year before we could get back together in person. That wasn't my choice. The venues that we met in weren't open. We weren't allowed to get in. And that was a crazy, challenging season. We did church in backyards, in parks, in apartment complexes, in homes, online, all sorts of crazy stuff over the course of a year. And I remember in the midst of that season, people would always ask me, what do you miss about, what do you miss about? church and i'm telling you everything that i described was connected to people that's what i missed because church this this miracle this mystery that we're in is that god takes strangers and he puts them together in family through the blood of christ we become a people this guy starts in verse one he says paul and timothy servants of christ jesus To all of God's people, because we are a people, but we're not just a people. Second thing, if you're the type of person that likes to take notes, he says, We're not just a people, but we are a people who are special to God. Like, we are his special possession. Which which feels weird to even say. Like, it's tough for some of us to believe. One of the things that I've just been praying is that over the course of the next 12 weeks, God would allow your mind and your heart to catch up with the reality as he sees it. He goes, he, goes, he goes, man, you are, you are special to me. You're my special possession. You belong to me. Look back at verse one. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of, not just to all of the people, but to whose people? Shout it out. Come on, to whose people? To, to God's people. He goes, he goes, the church is not just a tribe or a club or some sort of group. Like, you didn't assemble yourselves. You didn't start yourself. He goes, you belong to God. You belong to God. We belong to God. We're, we're his possession. I love the way that Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends would say it when he was writing to the churches that had been scattered in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. Look at this. It'll be up on the screen with me. I love this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special what? Help me out. God's special possession. possession. Yeah, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Out of all the things, guys, this is mind-blowing. If only your heart would catch up with this. Out of all of the things that God has created that belong to him. I mean, I just think about like the Rocky Mountains, the Grand Canyon, the Pacific Ocean, sunrises and sunsets and the animal kingdom and everything. Like all of these things that he's created he looks at his people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, brought together in a family, and he goes, yeah, but there's something special about this. There's something unique about this. And we all know our sin, we know our brokenness, we know all of our dysfunction. It's easy to look around the room and go, God, are you sure, are you sure you're talking about us? Maybe somebody else, you know, I tell my boys all the time, I'm like, guys, if you knew how much I loved you, you would be the most arrogant creatures on the face of the earth, like, if I could open up my heart, if I could show you the way your mother and I feel about you, I love you more than she does. But, like, if you could see, if you could see how much I love you, oh my goodness, it would fundamentally change everything about your life. And we live in a moment where, where people go, Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with church anymore. And God goes, I know what to do because you're my special possession. I love you, you're mine. I see you. I grew up near the ocean uh, on the East Coast in Charleston, South Carolina. And every so often, hurricanes would come barreling up the East Coast and we'd have to evacuate. And if you've ever been a part of something like that, you know that in an evacuation, you don't go rent a U-Haul and pack up your whole house and move out for a week and then, then come back. It's just kind of like, a hey, you've just got a minute, get whatever you can get and fit in a car and. You know, we had a family of five, and so family of five in a small car, didn't even have a minivan, you know, and so my parents would say, hey, everybody go in the house, you can get one or two small things, and, and every time we'd evacuate, my mom, she would always get the same things, and we loved to make fun of her for it. She had this small little box of like some documents that were really important to her and to our family, and then she would get three photo albums, one from my sister's childhood, one from my brother's childhood, and one from my childhood, and she'd come to that car, ready to evacuate, ready to leave, and she'd go, hey, here's what matters to me. The memories that come with this little family that we get to be part of. And I'd tease her, and I'd tease her, and I'd tease her, because I was an arrogant teenager. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I can't believe you. Mom, I'm bringing a Game Boy, you know? I can't believe you're bringing pictures. And, and I'll have this forever. I love it. Um, you know, and, and it's just like one of those moments she'd say, hey, no, like, one day you're going to understand one day you're going to understand. And sure enough, here I am, and I'm in that one day, and I understand, and I tell my boys, hey, you'll understand, you'll understand. And guys, it's amazing, Paul from prison is writing to this church that he loves, and he goes, hey, you have no idea what God's been doing. He goes, you are a people. You've been brought together. In God, and you're not just a people, you are like his prized possession, like like he's doing something so significant and so so beautiful in you. And then he keeps going, he gives us another thing. He says, You're not just a people that are special to God, he goes, but you have a unique purpose on the earth. You're a people that belong to God and you have been marked with a purpose. What do you know it or not? See, a lot of times, you know, as Americans, as Western kind of individuals, we we think of purpose and we think about like, what's my purpose? And we think about it through just a very individualistic way of thinking. But when the scriptures would speak into purpose, so often it was a communal reality. And Paul's gonna go, hey, you are a people that are special to God and you've been marked with a divine purpose. Look back at verse one. You're gonna memorize this verse by the end of this Sunday. I'll read it 150 times to you. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's what kind of people? To all of God's holy people. Holy people. A lot of times when we think of holiness, there's this tendency, especially if you've been in church for a long time, to think about what you do And although there's an element of holiness that involves our activity, you know, the scriptures say, be holy as God is holy. There's an element of our holiness that we are certainly participatory in. But you are holy not because it's something that you have done. You are holy because God in Christ Jesus through the cross has made you holy. Holy. To be holy means that you are set apart for something unique, that you've been given a purpose that is different from the purpose of everything else on the earth. That's what it means to be holy. In fact, in that scripture that we read from 1 Peter, Peter says, you are rescued out of darkness into the kingdom of light to declare the praises of him. He goes, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a special possession, and you have a purpose to declare to declare the beauty and the significance of who God is wherever you go. This is what, uh, what Paul is saying to this little Philippian church. He goes, you're a people group and you belong to God and he's rescued you out of that old way of life and he's set you into a new purpose communally. You are holy, set apart. You are different than the world for the sake of the world. You are different than the world for the sake of the world and the glory of God. That's what it means to be a holy person marked by God. You know, when God looked at the Israelites, he says, you are a holy people. Was their behavior holy? No. They're sinful. But God goes, I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to use you for a unique purpose in the earth so that all the nations might come to know me. I want to use you. Like, I don't know if you have anything around your house that is holy, and I'm not talking in the religious sense here, okay? So let's not think in the spiritual sense. Do you have anything in your house that you only use it for a specific purpose? Like, you don't use it for anything else but for one purpose. I remember right after Sydney and I got married, uh, she went to this little pottery class and she, she made this plate and she painted it, and on the edge of it, it said the birthday plate, or, or no, it says, it's your birthday, I should know this by now, it's been 18 years, she goes, it's your birthday, and she comes back, and she shows me this birthday plate, and uh, just to be candid, I did not grow up in a household with b- birthday plates, raise your hand if you grew up in a household where you had a birthday plate, like, just curious, you can own it, okay, a few of you, you look kind of embarrassed when you raise your hand, <laughs> nothing to be embarrassed about, um, you know, I did, she comes home, and this is, For those of you that are married, you understand this. For those of you that are not married, uh, you'll understand this uh, someday. Like there's this moment where she shows me the plate and I'm trying to gauge how excited am I supposed to be about this plate. (laughs) And here's what I've consistently learned over 18 years. I almost always get the level of excitement wrong. Like, you know, and I try, you know, but she's like, here's the birthday plate. And, and, And she's like, we can only use this for a birthday. And I remember like one day, all the dishes were dirty and I'm like making a sandwich on a Saturday and I'm like, she's like, no, get a paper plate. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you <laughs> kidding me? She's like, she's like, it's set apart. It's different. And the, the, the funny thing is that plate has become quite Special. It's it's a set apart plate in our family. I'm convinced that when Sydney and I die one day, our boys are gonna fight over that plate. They're all on that plate. In fact, maybe my dying moment will be me going to the grave and smashing that plate on my tombstone, you know, so so the boys can't argue over it. I don't know. But like it's set apart, it's used for one thing and one thing only. And here's what's so interesting. Paul is gonna say, Hey, don't forget that you are God's people, you are special to him, and there are certain things in the world that are only accomplished when the church lives into her identity. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm so grateful most days for the government. Um, I'm so grateful for great nonprofits. I'm so grateful for NGOs. I'm grateful for business and for mission and for the arts and for entertainment and education. All, in anything that advances the common good, I'm grateful to God for it. But the scriptures are clear that there are certain things in the world that only happen when the church lives all the way into her identity. And that when the church quits being the church, things happen. The church is left wanting. Things don't don't come through the way that they're supposed to when we forget who we are. (laughs) And Paul's writing from this prison cell Facing his impending death and he goes, man, don't forget, you're a people and you are special to God and you've been marked by a purpose and he keeps going and he goes, and that purpose is for you to be lived out in a specific place. This purpose that God has for you, it is to be lived out in a specific place. Look back at verse one with me. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi to all of God's people who are in Jesus at Philippi, in Jesus at Philippi, say that with me, in Jesus at Philippi, in Jesus at Philippi. He goes, when you become a follower of Jesus, whether you realize this or not, you now have two addresses. You have a dual locality. You are miraculously and mysteriously not just brought into a club or an organization or a get-together on Sundays where we sing songs and think about Jesus and read old stories. That's not what happens. Fundamentally, by the power of God in Christ, you are relocated into Jesus himself. What a mystery. How crazy that is. That to be a Christian doesn't just mean you say the right things and sing the right songs and try to cuss less than you used to cuss and drink less than you used to drink. It's like, no, literally, you have been brought into the very body of Christ. And part of your locality is you have now taken up residence in the person of Jesus. That's what Paul is gonna say to the Ephesians. He goes, you have currently been seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly realms. Like, your locality, it is in Jesus, and this is why... We take sin, we believe sin's a really big deal because whatever you do in word or deed, you do as a reflection of Jesus. And so, how you date, whether you know this or not, is a reflection of Jesus. Sometimes it's a poor reflection of Jesus. How you speak, how you do business, how you use your time and your energy and your money, how you steward your sexuality. All of these things that we talk about all of the time, these things are either helping people see Jesus clearly as you are an extension of his hands and feet into the world, or it makes it difficult. He goes, you are in Christ. But you're not just in Christ, he goes, you are also in Philippi. (laughs) You are in this place, you are in Nashville. I remember when I first moved to Nashville years ago for college, people would say hey where are you from and I thought with dual locality I'd say I'm from Charleston South Carolina but I'm going to school in Nashville and I just thought with kind of one foot in both worlds and then there's a moment even after I graduated college where people would say hey where are you from where are you from I'd say I'm from Charleston but I'm living in Nashville and at some point Sydney's like I think we're kind of living here like you just say you're Nashville <laughs> that's where you live I'm like oh yeah like I'm I'm here but as followers of Jesus This is the miracle and the mystery. God goes, hey, hey, I've I've brought you out of darkness into light. And so you are in Jesus and you are in Nashville. You are in Jesus and in your neighborhood. You are in Jesus and in your workplace. You are in Jesus and in your dorm room. You are in Jesus and in your home. You are in Jesus and right where he's put you. And all of it by the grace of God is an opportunity to reflect and declare the glory of what he's done. When you understand, he goes, hey, you're in Christ and you're in Philippi. Philippi was this city that was in the northeastern part of what is now modern Greece. It's not far from the churches that we've been looking at the last seven or eight weeks in Western Turkey as we studied through Revelation. It's this booming city, and yet there were not a lot of people in the city that understood the grace and the beauty of Jesus when the Apostle Paul showed up. Maybe you picked up on this uh, from the scripture reading a few minutes ago out of Acts 16. If you wanna know the backdrop of the book of Philippians, go read Acts chapter 16 today. It's a beautiful story. It's an origin story of how the church was given birth to there. But Paul shows up in the city of Philippi and usually when he'd go to a city, he would go to the synagogue and he'd look for people that at least understood the story of God's work through Israel and then he'd point them to Jesus. But he gets to Philippi and he doesn't go to a synagogue because apparently there wasn't one in the city. Here's what's fascinating to me, is during the days where Paul was traveling and starting churches, all you had to have to start a synagogue in any city were 10 faithful Jewish men that were willing to lead the synagogue. And so in a city of roughly 10 to 15,000 people, this a hub of commerce and education and business, Paul shows up and there were not 10 faithful men living out the story of God. And so when there was no synagogue, people would typically gather in a marketplace or by a river to seek God in prayer, worship, and reflecting on the scriptures. And so he shows up and there's a woman named Lydia there, a fashion mogul from the city of Thyatira that we studied a few weeks ago from the book of Revelation. And she's gone, she's come there on business. God opens her heart, touches her life. And all of a sudden this mission begins to break out in the city of Philippi. I don't know how long you plan on being in Nashville. Maybe you're here for school. Maybe maybe you're here until you get famous. Maybe you're here until you finish the record or the job or you get the girl or whatever the thing is. I'm just telling you, whether you're here for 10 months or 10 years, God has a purpose for your life right where you're at. And don't forget that we are a people who belong to God, that have a purpose but there is a locality to that purpose and it's in Christ and in the city of Nashville, the place He's put you. And this is one of the questions that I just I, I find myself wrestling with. If, if ethos were to suddenly quit existing, like if it were to cease to exist immediately, would the city miss us? Would the city lament that? And I go, when a church understands who she is, the city goes, man, we need you around. I love this, Paul and Timothy, (laughs) servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, at the city of Philippi, to the overseers and to the deacons. Look at verse two with me, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, he goes, hey listen, you're a people who are special to God. You have a purpose in the world, both in Christ and in the city that you've been placed. And I love kind of this last little snapshot that he's gonna give us. And he's gonna go, and I wanna send you out with the posture or the demeanor of heaven. I'm gonna send you out with the posture or the demeanor of heaven. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody. In fact, I know I've done this. And so uh, this is me confessing and repenting of this. But I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that talks about the things of Jesus and they talk with such urgency that that urgency becomes anxiety. (laughs) It's like, we gotta do something for God. We gotta do something for God. We gotta do something for God. And it's possible to have gospel urgency, but not to have a gospel posture. And Paul goes, I just want to remind you, like you're a people, you matter to God. This is not a closed little community. He's giving you a purpose in the place that he has set you. And he goes, but he is sending you out in this, in this posture of grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. And these two words, man, they sometimes sound so churchy. We don't even know. Like, have you ever noticed the way we do this as Christians? Like, we say things to each other and we don't even know what it means. It's like, hey, bless you, brother. Like, you know, like, grace to you. You know, it's like, we say all of these things. We don't even know what we're saying. I just want you to stop and saturate in the reality of what Paul is saying here. He goes, you have miraculously been brought into a people that matter to God with a purpose in the place that you've been set. But I want you to live that out, Mark by the postures of grace and peace. So let's talk about what is grace and peace for this moment. Grace, here's my just kind of quick definition for you. Grace is the kindness of God. It is the kindness of God that empowers you to say no to your old way of living and yes to the life that God has made you for. That's what grace is. Grace is the kindness of God that gives you strength to say no to your old way of life and yes to the life that God has made you for. Grace is not simply forgiveness. It's not just mercy, although it includes that. A lot of times when we think about grace, it's like, all right, we screwed everything up. God, thank you for your grace. And that's a small fraction of what grace is. It's so much bigger than that. Grace is not the divine mop brought in to clean up the spill on aisle 14 of your life. Like, that's not what it is. Grace is the kindness of God that when it gets a hold of your heart, it proactively propels you to say no to the things that used to drag you down all the time and then to say yes to the things that you, you used not to have courage to say yes to. Look how Paul defines it Titus chapter two, starting in verse 11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Not a a closed club here, grace is available to everybody in Jesus. And it teaches us, grace that is, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Paul goes, man, you're part of a people that belong to God, that have a purpose in the place that you've been set, but God is not sending you out to do that in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own smarts. He goes, you are being fueled by the tangible kindness of Jesus. (laughs) And it will be his kindness that will help you live differently than you ever lived and lean into what you've never leaned into. He goes, there's grace, but then there's also peace. And a lot of times when we think about peace, we, we think about the absence of conflict, or maybe the absence of noise. You think about sitting on a beach with your feet kicked up and you know your favorite beverage and you're watching the sunset and a dolphin is like jumping over the moon or whatever. It's like you're just, like, just picturing, like, what's the, the most serene place? And man, I love those peaceful moments. But that's not, what, that's not the type of peace that Paul is putting on the table here. He's writing this from prison and he goes, did you know that there is a type of joy, there is a type of contentment, there is a type of strength that no circumstance in this world can touch? And he goes, and you can live at peace no matter what's happening. Guys, anybody can be at peace when they're sitting on the beach with no responsibility and no noise. But to be at peace when your life is you know, just falling apart, to be at peace, that is supernatural. And Paul goes, that's what God wants to offer you. <laughs> that's what God wants to put on the, the table. This is the posture. And this word peace, it literally meant To be one with God in complete wholeness. To have a life that is so whole, that is so complete, that is so in step with God. What does he want for your friend group? He wants you walking in wholeness with Jesus. What does he want in your marriage? He wants you walking in wholeness with Jesus. What does he want with your children and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors? He wants your life To be marked so by the posture of grace, his kindness, and peace, his reality, that when people look at you, they go, Oh my goodness, what's happening in Brandon's life? And you go, Jesus. That's it. Jesus. And the door's open to you. I'm not sure how you answer the question, like when somebody says, Hey, what church are you a part of? You know, if you're anything like me, most of my life, you go, oh, I go to Ethos. And Paul's gonna say, hey, I know what you mean, but, but don't, don't lower the bar on what it is that you're actually a part of. In a culture that doesn't know what to do with church, don't be embarrassed by the fact that you're part of a church. Because you're walking in a miracle. You are a people. Once you were not a people, <laughs> but now you're a people. Saved by the grace of God, his holy nation, his royal priesthood, his special possession with purpose on your life in the place that you're at and whether you have another 10 months to live, another 10 years, another 50 years, that God doesn't want to waste an ounce of it. And when we say, hey, we're a part of the church, what we're saying is, man, the miracle of the cross has invaded us. It's put us in a family marked with a purpose to bring about the reconciliation and the transformation of Nashville for the glory of Jesus. And although that mission is huge, we're not anxious about it. Although it's urgent, we are walking in grace and peace because only Jesus can do this. And here's what I'm praying is we take the next 12 weeks and I promise we'll go faster than two verses at a time. (laughs) But what I'm praying over the next 12 weeks is that God would begin for some of you to just start calling you home. Some of you have been prodigals. You've been running. Life has been beating you up this last season. And I believe over the next 12 weeks, it's gonna be a time of homecoming. God's gonna bring some of you home. I'm just praying for homecomings. For some of you, it's, it's not coming home. You're in the Father's house, but you have forgotten what it is that God has made you for. And you've allowed the busyness of life, you've allowed the cares of the world to sort of lower your bar on what it means to be a part of God's family. And somehow along the way, you just started thinking, okay, I'll show up once or twice a month. You know, hear a teaching, sing some songs, take communion and go about my life. And he's going, no, it's more than that. You are brought into my people and my eye is on you. And you've got a purpose in the world. Right here where you're at. And I'm giving you everything you need to do it. And so, for some of you, it's going to be a coming home season. For some of you, it's just going to be a reminder of who you've always been. But here's the thing that I've been praying our elders have been praying this, our teams have been praying this. I've been praying that specifically over the next couple of years, that God would tangibly raise the bar for all of us and what it means to be a part of this family. That He would just raise our perspective and our understanding. We go, okay, that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And that our minds and our hearts would come into agreement with what his word declares. And that we start living from that. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to receive communion. Give me some men and women. We would love to pray over you at the respond banner. I love that after reading the scriptures, the first thing we're doing is we're going to the table and we're taking the bread and we're taking the cup and we're being reminded that everything we're a part of is the simple invitation that has been kicked wide open because of the cross of Jesus. And so this morning we come to the table of grace and we receive grace. We receive peace with Christ because of who he is and what he's done. And then we're gonna live into it. And so, Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Spirit, I love you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the reality of what you've invited us to be a part of. God, would you fill us Would you fill us with the glorious, mysterious knowledge of what your word lays in front of us? And would you help our lives to come into agreement with it? God, thank you for using a man who is facing death to remind us of how we were designed to live. Thank you that you used a man in the midst of great discomfort to teach us how to walk in the comfort of the Spirit's friendship. Thank you that you took the most unwanted circumstances and showed us that there is something on the table. There is a joy, there is a peace, there is a contentment, there is a purpose, there is a fullness that is so legitimate and so real, no matter what circumstances unfold, the world can't touch it. And God, that's what we're asking you for. God, would you give that to us? Would you give that to us as you give us yourself? Help us to to see you, to know you, to love you, to walk with you in deep friendship. So God, we don't wanna read your word, Or just think upon your word. We want your word to read us and to soak into us and to transform us. So as we receive the bread and the cup this morning, we say thank you for who you are and all you've done, the word of life, the bread of life, the author of life, the redeemer of life, the one who is coming to give life. It's in your name we pray, amen. I love you so much. Let's come, let's receive communion. If you wanna be prayed over, there's some men and women, we'd love to pray with you. The respond banner. Circle up your chairs, talk, pray. Encourage each other in the Lord this morning and then we'll end with a couple of songs.